You're listening to Episode 5 of the Canoe People Podcast. Welcome, I'm your host, Tim Story. In this episode, I talk with author and fellow paddler Phil White. Phil recently co-authored a book titled Unplugged, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. We cover lots of ground, but in general, I hope that every listener will be encouraged to analyze and reflect on the role of technology in their paddling and in the rest of their life. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, why don't, why don't we just get started by um, having you share a little bit about maybe your own uh, experience as a paddler. Um, I don't know if you've done much canoeing yourself um, and then just kind of yeah, your own journey as an athlete, and then mm-hmm. and then maybe how that's tied into um, your career as a writer, and how you've tied those two things together. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, all go right, for it. Just, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess I came to the U.S. in in August of two thousand and one to play uh, my kind of football, i.e., soccer and basketball at a small NAIA school in Kansas City. And, um, yeah, now I've been out in Colorado for a couple of years because being blessed and lucky enough to be a writer, all I need is a Wi-Fi connection. And my wife and I family were coming out several times a year with the kids for long weekends and sometimes a longer, longer break for a week or more. And so why not just move here? And so we did. So, yeah, we're, we're just up in Evergreen, Colorado and lucky enough to have a nice lake that's certainly paddleable until hopefully late November when it freezes and then it isn't (laughs) and then it'll freeze until you know late spring but uh yeah so really I got got into SUP kind of early right when the first lead signature board came came out you know and him and Dave Kalama and these guys are really popularizing it. And from there, just um, got connected with Dave Shively and uh, Joe Carberry, who are both kind of dabbling and switching time up between um, this newly formed Sup the Mag, which is kind of Surfer Magazine stand up paddling companion. And then they were both also still with Canoe and Kayak at that point. And so, yeah, really just fit in well with our lifestyle and, uh, got a second board and, you know, my wife goes out there now and we get the kids out there on it. And then, uh, got connected with a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Kelly Starrett, who people may be familiar with through his book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. And so it was really the first mass market book on movement and mobility. And so we did a couple of videos and articles for Sup the Mag. And then really just at that time he was noodling on his book, ready to run. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool for the paddling community? He actually, a lot of people don't know his background as a river rat. He was a, a guide living out of his, his van in Colorado for a long time, nice. went to school in Colorado and was actually a, a national level whitewater um, athlete back in the day. And a lot, a lot of people aren't aware of that. And so really it was partly his love letter to paddling that led to that book. And then also we really wanted to just teach anyone that's into water sports, whether it's paddling or surfing or anything in between, just how their body should work and some baseline capacities. And then if they're broken and they aren't able to achieve those positions or do it with any integrity, then these are some self-care exercises you can do. And so hopefully that book will be out summer of 2018. And then from there, Kelly introduced me to Brian McKenzie, who for a long time was Mr. CrossFit Endurance and now runs power speed endurance and um dr andy galpin who is a muscle physiologist at cal state fullerton and so we ended up writing this book on unplugged which is really telling people how to better use fitness technology uh what some of the limitations are and then also the need to sometimes as the name suggests unplug from the devices and uh and get out and be fully reconnected to their own instincts um nature and other people in authentic community Hmm. yeah yeah i mean i um you know when i got into the book and started reading i thought one of the things i picked up immediately was uh in no way are you guys espousing a kind of luddite message of you know all technology is bad uh don't don't use it um but but it felt like you you're all trying to issue a little bit of a warning in in saying hey just because these things have been made available doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be good for you as an athlete or that they're going to even produce the results that they promise Mm-hmm. Um, and, and can we use some, some data and some research to really understand the best ways to incorporate these things into our, you know, our daily, daily routines? 
Yeah, that's right. And really, um, one of the, the anchor quotes from the book is from Tim Ferriss. And some people might think that that's a little ironic, including Tim, because he's known as kind of one of the pioneers in the self-quantification movement. But uh, everything he does is intentional. And obviously, as a New York Times bestselling author with one of the biggest podcasts on the planet and his new TV show as well, he's very busy. And so when he does use technology, it's very purposeful. And what he said to us was um, he kind of gave his top 10 tips in the back of the book there. And one of the things was use the least amount of technology necessary, not the most you think you can handle. And where he was going with that was, you know, what is your end goal? You know, what is your end outcome? And then can you connect a certain measurement to being able to further that aim? So whether it's strokes per minute, you know, for our purposes or power output or something like that, you know, watts, whatever it is, or speed, just pure speed. And then how can you start to work backwards to formulate a plan to improve that metric again with that end goal in in mind? Or is it a specific problem? Are you plateauing in your performance, either in training or competition? And is there some way that you can work backwards, um, sometimes with a coach, someone who's more experienced in interpreting that data? And really just, uh, as he said, use use the minimum amount, amount necessary to get to that outcome using the least amount of technology necessary. And then he further went on to say that the best tech he's ever used is a pen and a notepad. <laughs> and then he does scan those into Evernote. So he does use a little technology. But that way, if he say if he's coming back from an injury and he wants to rebuild some strength in his deadlift, well, He's able to look at a time maybe in the past when he was injured and, again, looking for a similar outcome. And he can find that uh, that in his notes, either hard copy or digitally, and then is able to recreate that program to reach that outcome. So as you say, no, we're not advocating that we round up all the Fitbits, chuck them in a pile and burn them ritualistically and then <laughs> retreat to, into the woods. But <laughs> more so just trying to say, you know, if you are going to use technology do it purposefully, do it to try to connect the dots between what you're feeling and what's going on inside your body. And then the third piece of that is just to uh, to know when to step back and when to just go out and heaven forbid, enjoy your paddling or whatever you're doing for the sake of it itself. Yeah, one of the things I, I really appreciated in the book was, uh, I think it was even towards towards the back, but when, when you guys made um, the distinction between uh, you know, doing and being and how so much of what the the technology and the data is driving us to do is, is do more, right? And and that we forget that one of the things that can be most enriching about, um, you know, physical activity and being in nature and, and challenging ourselves is that we just get to be, you know, and, and I, I, I appreciated that you guys explored that and, and, and teased that apart. Um, uh, it, it has... Uh, that distinction for me even has a little bit of like a, a spiritual connotation to it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, that, the, that oftentimes even in, in spiritual traditions, you know, a lot of what they're trying to encourage us to do is to, is to stop kind of like living by our to-do lists and our checklists of things we should do mm-hmm. and, and to just learn to, to be, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. And, and I think, um, when we asked Laird Hamilton, who Brian obviously works with closely at XPT and uh, has known for for many years, and uh, really Laird is the, a human tuning fork, he, he said, you know, that kind of biblical idea almost of where two or more are gathered in my name is, is really what he thinks about when he thinks about community. And so when he was out there, you know, with the Strapped crew, you know, Derek, Derek Dorner and... Um, obviously Dave Kalama and some of these other guys, Cody mm-hmm. Kerbox back in the day, Buzzy Kerbox, that they, there was this kind of brotherhood that was formed there and the things that they experienced. Um, and Kalama always, almost talks about it. He said, not as meant as no disrespect to veterans, but it's almost like going to war together. Mm. And it, it creates this kind of shared bond that is just going to last a lifetime and really just forge, forge those relationships in steel. And, uh, I think that that's uh, that that was kind of Laird's take on the the spiritual dimension of of what he does every day and how he lives that out. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Do you you know uh, working with Seth the Mag and obviously having personal relationships with lots of people in the paddle community? Um, what what are some ways that you've um, seen the technology coming in and changing the way people interact with the sport and also with each other? 
Um, maybe you even have, uh, you know, an anecdote or two or a story about someone who you've seen kind of personally affected by that. Um, could, could you share a little bit of, about that or maybe some of your co-authors kind of brought, brought these things to your attention? Sure. Yeah. I think that, um, it was interesting going back and forth with Travis Grant, my Aussie mate, who uh, obviously is a Hawaii transplant. And he said he listened to, um, Andy's podcast with Joe, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan experience a couple of weeks ago and said, man, like for, I didn't think as a scientist that I would connect with him on any level, but he said, you know, he's really, it really sounds like what he's trying to, to bring his insights to the masses and, just really say, look, you can measure certain things and you can find value in doing that if you're doing it intentionally. But a large part of it is just developing your instincts. And I think I see out on Evergreen Lake, you know, it's great that they have a paddleboard rental um, facility there, like at the boathouse during the summer. And um, there's also reasons that I avoid that. And we wait to go out uh, usually at dusk when that closes. And part of it is because you see these teenagers um, with their headphones in the whole time, their paddles backwards, you know, and that's partly based on a lack of instruction, basic instruction, you know, and the fact that they'll just let anyone go out if you have a life life jacket. Mm -hmm. And then also, if you look at them sometimes looking down at their devices, whether that's a wristborne device or something on their phone, then you can start to see their entire posture implode from the head and neck down. <laughs> it's like what Kelly talks about, you know, this kind of forward head on neck position. And if we start to look at some of the physiology there, that's starting to clamp down on your windpipe. It's starting to reduce the capacity for your lungs to expand because you're reducing the size of that chest cavity. Mm. And then as it starts to round in some places, um, there are some areas of the the spine that are um, there's too much tension in, which means you're slackening in other areas. And you're really just getting to this horrible C shape that you sometimes sadly see old people stuck in, your elderly, elderly people that they just literally can't get out of, you know, if they're on a walker or have just been, you know, the, the accumulation of years of, of uh, sitting and bad posture when standing. And so to start to see some of these teenagers or preteens in this, hunched over position now, you start to worry about what this is going to lead to for future generations. So it's not only bad paddling form, you know, outside of the fact that the paddle is often backwards, as I say, unless you want to be that guy that walks past every time and uh, says, hey, your paddle, your blade's backwards, you know, turn that around, <laughs> yeah. son, you know, like the old grandpa that I am. But um, beyond that, it just <laughs> as well as just bad paddling form, it just completely takes them out of the experience. And that's another reason that we don't like to go out um, during that the day, particularly at the weekend, because it, it's just that choke point at the uh, the boat ramp, and you're liable to get hit from somebody having you know this half half an experience, or as Kyle Lenny says in the book, you know, kind of this this dried out husk of an experience almost that it just what are they missing just. Paddle, paddle for you. Don't paddle for Instagram. Like your 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 thirty followers on Instagram are going to be okay if you don't update them while you're paddling. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I, I think I I mean a, just a personal you know story. It was it was interesting reading the book because, um, you know, I think when I first started paddling, I I think I bought a GPS watch. You know, mm -hmm. and I I wouldn't take it with me all the time, but I'd take it, and, and it didn't wasn't like a heart rate monitor or anything, but it would at least you know tell me how many miles I paddled and, and that kind of sure. stuff. Um, but, uh, like one of the, one of the things, uh, one of the stories in the book that's told, and I, and I forget actually who, who tells it, but, um, a father, he's on a hike with his family and, mm -hmm. and he was tracking their hiking, but every time they stopped, you know, for a water break or for his kid to walk around, he, he wanted, he paused it, right. Cause he wanted an accurate reading of, you know, their, their, their rate of hiking and stuff. And his mm -hmm. wife called him out on it, and she's like, "You're you're not even here with us because you're so concerned that you know you're you're measuring this this activity accurately." Mm -hmm. And uh, it reminded me because I, I I do the same thing, you know. I I bought a waterproof ca waterproof case for my phone, and uh, I have an app, you know, that I can I can track my mm -hmm. workouts and stuff. But I'm always, you know, like uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it takes takes me out of it sometimes, you know, out of out of a space that I want to be, and and I have to remind myself occasionally just to leave it behind and, and say, you know, today today I'm just going to go paddle and enjoy it. Um, I'm not going to know how far I went. I'm not going to have anything to post to Instagram, but that's okay. 
<laughs> yeah, or there's not going to be a Strava fail hashtag, yeah. you know, yeah. that you're using. Like, how is that even a thing? And it's, um, yeah, it's one of these things where Stephen Kotler, who, you know, wrote The Rise of Superman about flow states and extreme sports athletes, which is I've recommended to people probably more than any other book other than maybe becoming a supple leopard in the past 10 years. And then him and Jamie Wheel also wrote Stealing Fire, which uh, rightly is nominated for a Pulitzer now. I don't even think they'll talk to me anymore because they're, they're a very big time. No, <laughs> both Salt of the Earth guys, lovely guys. Jamie's actually a fellow Brit. But that aside, you know, Stephen said to us in, in his section at the back of the book, he was kind enough to give us some of his top tips. And he said, unless you're top 3% in the world and you're trying to be top 1%, I honestly don't know what you're measuring. I really don't. Like you get, we get in this, um, you know, this semi-competitive state and uh, we get in this gear race, you know, where you have to have the $600 carbon fiber paddle or the custom board. Now, I wish I could afford to have Joe Bark shape me a board, you know, <laughs> a full-on <laughs> custom um, because he does amazing work, but I sure can't. Um, and I've got a knockdown version of one of uh, Quickblade's best paddles because um, I needed the price break from having a, the fiberglass shaft rather than going full carbon. But uh, I'm guessing I'm probably getting 95% of the, the benefits. And again, I think we start, even as amateur athletes, we start chasing after marginal gains. You know, like the British cycling team is the first, one of the first to, to do this, you know, Team Sky and then the British national team. But it's like, you know, even these now, these Nike running shoes that they, or Adidas, I think they're in this... Um, this this war to see who can get a sponsored athlete under the two two hour mark in the marathon yeah, you know they that. say these these new shoes are like make you three or four percent more efficient well number one what does more efficient mean and as kelly would say if you're missing like 30 percent of your hip flexion for example well then we're starting to talk about percentages of percentages you know if you so I, I think we can become too obsessed with marginal gains, you know, like these little speed bumps that we think might be in our way. And, and we keep falling down these massive potholes, whether they be mobility or we're too stressed out all the time and we're not doing any breath work or anything else to help us downregulate. So we're not sleeping well. Uh, we're eating like crap. We're dehydrated. These things that, um, again, are like massive potholes in the road, but we're too com concerned about this tiny little speed bump, which if we smooth it out, might give us this half a percent gain or this 2% gain. And again, like Stephen said, really? Okay, well, if, if it's worth that, that to let it start monopolizing your life and you start spending four hours on, not to pick on Strava, but any of these online platforms a night to the point where it's a detriment to your relationships and possibly to your health and it's maybe creating this this concept now known as health anxiety that's mm. a problem yeah yeah I, th I think there definitely is i mean uh yeah yeah in in, in athletics in general and and people who like to to be competitive in some respect there is kind of this culture that's risen up of like everybody kind of wants to act like a professional and you know like and and buy the the equipments that the the equipment that the professionals are using and stuff. And, mm -hmm. and, and we lose the side of the fact that like for all intents and purposes, like most, most of us don't, don't need anything th at that level, you know, like mm -hmm. we're, we're not even performing at the level where it would make much of a difference. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we kind of lose, um, lose perspective. I mean, one of the things I personally appreciate about, um, about paddle sports, you know, uh, whether it's outrigger canoeing or, or, or stand up paddling or prone paddling and stuff, is that there there really isn't a huge focus on like um you know PRs on personal records because mm -hmm. because the course changes every year right there could there could be better swell better like wind. Molokai especially right i mean yeah. it's uh you know Kai went out and beat it last year and then Travis beat it again this year and they, those were both phenomenal performances and and efforts but like you said, it's all about the tide. And when Kelly paddled Molokai, you know, outrigger for the first time a couple of years ago, the tide was not. <laughs> maybe, maybe the tide be ever in your favor was not. Um, was yeah. not the case. Yeah, I mean that race is famous, right? For people pulling out on race day because they realize there's not going to be any good any good bump. You know, like if, there, <laughs> if there's no bump coming out, guys are like, I'm, I'm not going to put myself through that. <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, I mean, um, it's. Um, if you don't have a following wind, you are you are going to be in a, a world of six, seven hours of hurt there for sure. 
Yeah, and so I think one of the things I appreciate about the paddle sports is that is that there is already a little bit more of a lean towards um, focusing on on the race should feel good to you. You know, like at at the end of it, like even you know, I mean, I'm I'm just a recreational paddler, but at the end of a race, um, I would rather my teammates focus on um, you know how did that race feel you know to us like not personally <clears throat> as an athlete, but then also like as a as a team in our boat. Um, Rather than you know, hey, did did we get a medal this week or uh, or those kinds of things, you know? And and I think uh, I think the more we can we can concentrate on that, I think it builds a healthier community of of, of athletes, you know. So I think that the numbers tend to drive us to this place of comparison um, and of of kind of like you were saying, like health anxiety, you know, where we're worried about the fact that oh my numbers are slipping or or whatever, um, rather than kind of taking a big picture look at it and saying, you know, what am, what am I getting out of this? You know, is it making me a happier, healthier person? <laughs> is it strengthening mm-hmm. my relationships rather than, uh, you know, deteriorating them and, and that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think that, that brings us to kind of the idea of, is it possible to win badly? You know, and I think it is because <laughs> <laughs> if it, um, you know, if, as Kelly says, it's like, if you, if you made the toast successfully, but you burned down the house, that's not a win. <laughs> and so, you know, if that, if that could mean you got injured, you know, that could mean you tweet, tweet your back or you can't, you know, you're, you're hunched over for a few days cause you, you messed yourself up or, or it could mean that if, if it was a team discipline that you were completely out of sync with your teammates, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe you won cause you just had a couple of old powerhouses in there who were leading the charge and you just got away with it based on raw power or maybe experience a combination thereof. But, mm-hmm. but you know that you weren't in sync and, um, yeah, if you, it makes me want to go back and read the boys in the boat and, and read some of those great descriptions of what, when they are in sync. And even with effort in that book, a great example, which I forgot until after Unplugged was published and then I smacked myself upside the head, you know, like, oh, <laughs> idiot, was when um, the coach knew that they were going to win because at a certain level, they were still breathing through their nose. Mm. And that's a big part of what Brian is getting into now through um, the art of breath seminars through power speed endurance and really starting to discover certain things about um, how breathing can get you into certain physical, emotional or uh, cognitive states and keep you there. And really just just reading that again the other day in in uh, in Boys in the Boat, too late to use it to enhance Unplugged unless we ever do a second edition, mm. which we might because who knows what new technology will come out in the next five or ten years. But, yeah, the coach knew that they, they were going to have a good day because at a certain point in that race, they were still still nasal breathing and still able to to them. That means, obviously, keep your heart rate lower, you know, let, let the effort level be there and the power output be there, but without letting the breath get away from you and having to chase it. And that comes back to your point about you know, there's just that feeling like you felt good. It, well, I wouldn't say it felt effortless, but it felt smooth, you know, and that, that's when you can know. And then Dr. Andy Galpin also cites a study in in the book where he talks about where there was this test done. I believe it, on, it was on runners. Now, forgive me if it was actually cyclists, where they were asked to go at a certain percentage of their maximum speed. And when they were timed afterwards, the finishing times were within a couple of seconds of their actual effort level there when they had been timed. And so hmm. the point being that we're, we're all calibrated to the point where rate of perceived exertion means something and you know when it's a hard workout, you know, or you know when it's the day that you're dragging and you've shown up and you've got something done and you've tried to put in some intentional work and we're able to do this. But the problem is with technology, if we're just fully relying on it, what happens on game day, whatever that means for you, when the technology is removed mm. and you're not able to depend on it anymore? Um, and so we can start to blunt these instincts almost to the point where they become dormant. And again, that's uh, that isn't a solution. That isn't a technological solution at that point. That's just being anesthetized. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned the thing about the the breath. I mean, just a personal experience I had today. Uh, you know, I went out paddling with my team this morning and, uh, I had just gotten over a cold this last weekend and Mm -hmm. I thought I was done with it. Uh, but today we, we did some interval training where we got our heart rate up and sure enough, I was breathing deep 
And uh, I couldn't, you know, I, all of a sudden I couldn't breathe deep. And the fact that I, I couldn't breathe the way that I, I needed to in those moments completely just, I mean, yeah, like mentally, uh, I just got in this space where I, I felt really defeated. I could feel my heart rate just shooting, shooting up, you know, and, and it, was, it just got me in this place where I felt really uncomfortable um, and realized I just kind of needed to, to take it a little easier today and, and respect that, you know, but, uh, um, but yeah, I, I really liked, um, you guys kind of summarize that in the book. I felt like in, in a quote of like, um, be your own experiment, you know, like, mm-hmm. like in the sense that like, um, learn to really kind of like listen to the feedback that your own body is giving you, uh, rather than a device, um, and, and really learn to be in tune with, uh, with that and, and, and read it really well. Yeah. And I think another, another of Brian's favorite sayings is you do you, mm-hmm. you know, and part of the problem is with these, you know, now we have these sunglasses that have like a coach in the ear element, you know, it has little earbuds and it tells you when to speed up or slow down and, you know, or the thing on your wrist, you know, oh, it's a personalized training program. Well, number one, we don't know who's coming up with these algorithms and how uh, and what they're factoring in. And then really what they're going for is a line of best fit. And the problem is, as we know, that the body is a a complex system of systems and it's highly individualized. So whether it's nutrition, you know, um, we're starting to discover the smartest people in the room, like Dr. Catherine Shanahan, you know, who wrote Deep Nutrition. Um, those type of John Barati is another one starting to realize that, um, you know, these fads, whether it's, oh, you need to go paleo or you need to go keto or you need to go, you know, whatever the, the thing of the day is um, mm. until it becomes the bad thing or the wrong thing tomorrow, that it's um, that that isn't just broad strokes appeal. You can't just paint everyone with that same brush that we all have an individualized nutritional profile and and our our physiology is highly variable and so to to take these line of best fit apps whether it's for for paddling or for strength training or for anything in between um it's not going to work for you you know some variety of it might but you need to go away and like you said be your own experiment see what works for you or like the old bruce lee quote which i'm going to butcher right just uh (laughs) you know talking about keep it keeping what is use useful you know discarding what isn't and then kind of adding your own your own kind of flavor to it which is a complete butchering of that paraphrase but (laughs) but the the point holds you know that if uh if you're able to use technology either from a motivation standpoint and it brings something to you, great. If you're able to use it as a cueing tool or to recalibrate or to provide some level of insight, then brilliant. If, it, if it's working for you, fantastic. But if you asked um, either your training partners, your teammates, maybe your spouse, a good friend, since I've started using this device or this gizmo, whatever it is, have you noticed any changes in me? And I'm not just talking about outcome. Oh, yeah, well, you got so much faster. Well, that would be good, you know, but it, just from a, a personality standpoint or your level of engagement with this person or the people around you. And if you're willing to let them speak truth into your life, you might hear some things that are hard to hear, but are necessary to hear, you know, mm. and or maybe you need to buy it by buy a person in your life. Adam Alter's book, Irresistible, where he talks about the. Uh, new layers of tech addiction and how these gadgets are designed to be addictive. And, um, that might allow you, you, you to be, to give a more accurate assessment of yourself maybe. And, uh, and it's not necessarily to say that we're all a nation of tech, tech addicts and that it's just hurting us in all these ways. But, um, there are some, some challenges there and, and really to, uh, sometimes we don't know we have a problem and we need someone close to us to speak truth into, into our lives. And, uh, this is, this is one of those areas. And I think that's only going to become an increasing need. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, uh, no, no disrespect to, you know, to the companies that are making these things in, in a sense, but, but they spend a lot of money on coming up with really effective marketing strategies, right. To, to make us athletes feel like, Hey, if you're not using this tool, you're going to fall behind, you know, like you're not going to perform like the other athletes and, and it's effective, you know, like we, we get this sense of uh, FOMO of, you know, of fear of missing out and and we're like, Oh, I need that new, I need that new thing. And, um, I think one of the things I I know, I I think in, you know, in this area of my life, but also others, I, I try to always be aware of like, where, where is this sense of dissatisfaction coming from? You know, 
Like if I feel dissatisfied with uh, mm. how I've been paddling lately, like where, where is that coming from? Um, what, what is the cause of that? You know, and if it, and if it's some really, uh, well crafted marketing message, then I'm going to be suspicious of it, you know, and, and, and hopefully learn to be like, Oh, well maybe that's, that's, uh, something that kind of slipped in there un, unbeknownst to me. Um, whereas sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I might actually be feeling something that I, that I want to, um, uh, you know, listen to and, and respond to and, and do that. But, but just the, like, Oh, I need, I need the new thing. Um, you know, I mean, in, in the paddling world, like you said earlier, one of, I mean, one of the pieces of equipment that I hear people talk about a lot, especially in outrigger, right. Is, is our paddles that we use, you know, mm-hmm. who's got the newest paddle, you know, like what just came out, someone designed one. And, uh, I, I love when like the older guys I paddle with just turn around, they're like, a paddle doesn't make you fast. You know, the paddler makes you fast, you know, and, and, and just like at the end of the day, paddle is just a flat piece of you know of, mm-hmm. of carbon fiber or wood that you're sticking in the water and you're trying to get leverage on it and uh um at the end of the day that that's not going to make you hugely different you know no it has the potential to maybe bugger you up yeah. more so than anything it's like shoes you know you're going to stick this thing that's like a two by four on your foot you know this thing big thick piece of foam that takes you three inches off the ground like a platform heel or something and wonder why your feet start to go to crap and um yeah so it has the potential to maybe mess you up but that fear of missing out thing you said was really profound because i think that also extends to the marketing now i saw an ad you know for one of these in quote smart watches the other day like never miss a text or call again Wow. Okay. So this, really like this, you want to be out on the water and you want text messages or calls intruding on that time because we're not letting technology intrude on us enough. You know, it's like, it's not nothing. It's like in, the, in Monty Python, the Holy Grail, you know, there is a pestilence upon this land. Nothing is sacred. <laughs> Roger the shrubber, you know, yeah. it's true. It's like yeah. really there can't be that protected time where you can just be out in the water. And, you know, it used to be back in the day that um, unless you were an emergency room physician or, you know, a first responder or maybe in the military, you know, those people would have pagers, beepers to alert them when they need that there's something going down. They need to be, to be fully engaged on the fly, even if it was at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. But now we've all, we've all got that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and again, going back to that book, Irresistible, which is excellent, Adam Alter asked a simple question toward the end of one of the chapters, and it's simply, how far is your is your cell phone away from you right now at this moment? Hmm. Seems pretty <laughs> simple, right? But it can it can sure tell you a heck of a lot. Yeah, I remember the first time, uh, you know, I, I didn't even think of this, right? I, I was just like, hey, I want to be able to track my workouts. I don't want to buy another piece of equipment, you know, for, for you know, the sake of I, I don't want to spend all my money on <laughs> on gadgets, so I was like, I'll get, I'll get a case for my phone, you know, and, and use my phone as that tool. And then I remember being out on a, you know, on a paddle one time and, and my phone vibrated cause I got a text message or something and it kind of resonated through the canoe and it like something in my brain just lit up and I was like, Whoa, like that's a new experience. Like tip, you know, cause typically I'd be out paddling and, and no one's going to get in contact with me. And all of a sudden something in me kind of like was like, Oh, like I, <laughs> You know, I just brought this thing out here with me that, mm-hmm. and I, I think it also helped me to realize how much I actually valued the disconnection. Um, and because all of a sudden I was accessible, you know, like I, and it was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. Just kind of one of those, uh, uh, I guess, wake up, wake up moments, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think we have a massive problem with boundaries in our society right now, particularly with technology. Hmm. Like, are we keeping our devices near us even when we go to sleep, you know, and what are so, and I'm not going down like the, the biohacker route of like, well, oh, all these waves are messing with your brain because they might be, I don't know. I mean, the research is still, you know, still isn't there necessarily with that stuff. But, you know, I think that for me, one time I was talking to a buddy and I said, you know, when I'm out paddling sometimes, when I'm in a book cycle, which is always, um, <laughs> these ideas will come to me and I'll think, dang it, I don't have the way to write that down, you know. And, and he said, well, why don't you take a voice recorder or even, you know, you can get this or that app for your phone or maybe even something built into your phone where you could take it and dictate. And I was like, there will never be a phone with me on the board and not just because <laughs> I don't want to drop it in the water like that. 
that is a boundary line that is hard and fast. And that's part of the glory of it, right? And so being able to to draw those lines and, and reinforce them hard, leave your phone in your glove box in your car or you know, whatever that might be. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't room for some safety equipment. You know, if you're going mountaineering, well, you might need a spot beacon. <laughs> yeah. You get in trouble. But when we talked to Leif Whitaker, who's, whose father was one of that, that initial American team that successfully summited Everest back in the day, and Leif has now done that and is an alpinist and a guide and an author, uh, his, his book, uh, My Old Man and the Mountain, is, is exceptional. But we interviewed him, and he said, he's kind of glad when he starts to see that power diminishing, you know, in the back country when he's leading people out there. And he said, you know, I've got the spot tracker, things go wrong. We can, we can call in a chopper and lifelight somebody out. But that once that cell phone starts to go down, it's like, yes, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're on the cusp of actually being engaged with each other and having some kind of a real experience here. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, a, a personal story of my own, um, this doesn't have to do with paddling or, or necessarily with uh, with being an athlete, but a while back, I, I just uh, I, I just made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to bring my phone in into my bedroom at, at the end of the day. So I I charge it out in the living room uh, and I just leave it out there. And I, I noticed immediately I I went straight to bed. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't spend you know. Uh, an extra half hour every night, you know, checking emails or scrolling through Facebook or even playing a game or anything. And, um, setting that boundary just kind of created a cascade of, of really good effects that, that I saw, you know, and, and enabled me to fall asleep quicker. I could get up earlier. I could get to more morning, you know, workouts with, with the guys I want to go paddle with. And, um, yeah, it was great. I had that something that I'm, I don't know, I'm sticking with. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I mean, really, paddling can be the last refuge in a way where we're not contactable, yeah. we're not accessible, we're not buggable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like otherwise you're like low jacks, like you've got a prison ankle bracelet on you, you know, or something like that. So it, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think um, I'm looking for more opportunities to to be able to go off the grid, not less. Like this fear fear of missing out and the advertising around that is very cynical in a way. It's very clever, but it's also very cynical. And, um, you know, never, never miss a text message or call again. Maybe I want to, you know, maybe you want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe I, I, I like how in the book you guys, and you've already mentioned this several times, like you talk a lot about, um, just the, as an athlete, the, the desire to really allow yourself to to hone those intuitions, you know, or, or to learn to really like listen to the, the, the natural physical, um, communication that your body is, is giving your mind, you know, as you're working out and stuff and, and not to, um, you know, not to give like, I don't know, like, what do I want to, not to forfeit that to some device, you know, and, and trust that it's going to do it as well as your body, which is the result of, you know, uh, millions of years of evolution and, and all of this like great stuff that's produced a, this highly complex system. Um, and, uh, I, I really liked that. I really liked the emphasis on, on, uh, tuning back in, um, to, to those, you know, those senses that are just innately built in us if we want them to be. If we yeah. want them to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned earlier was, was a key point that you talked about the resonance of that phone vibrating. Yeah. And if you're on a paddleboard or surfing or in a boat of any kind, like think about the number of possible feedback mechanisms there are. Mm. You know, it's not, it, it, it's the boat, how it's gliding through the water. I know when I talk to, to Jack Bark and Joe Bark about how they build and test their boards. You know, one of them will go out and the other one will be behind them, not trying to keep pace, but just at a different angle, seeing, you know, is this board level in the water? What is the drag factor? You know, and they're not measuring this with any technology. It's just, you know, this this master craftsman's years and decades of experience of knowing how a board should glide. That's what mm. they're looking for. And so when you start to add in the paddle, you know, how does the, how does it feel at the catch? You know, do you realize like, man, my shoulder kind of feels wonky on this one side. And then you realize, well, that's cause you know, my, my, my strike zone's a little bit, my yeah. catch zone's a little bit too wide right now. That's why. And then you self correct that or, you know, and, and the great thing about, even if you paddled the same body of water, 
And, uh, you know, at, at the same time of day, every day, the conditions are always going to be different, right? So our lake, it might be blowing you down toward the dam, or when you're going away from the dam, you might be going into a headwind, vice versa. There could be no wind, suddenly a storm crops up. Obviously, Colorado is pretty changeable, and you do not want to be out there like early to mid-afternoon in the summer because, <laughs> oh, I, yes, let's hold this giant seven-foot lightning rod in the sky and see what happens, particularly when you're the only one out there. You just hope one of the golfers on the golf course gets it before you do. No, I'm totally kidding, but kind of. Um, but it's, you know, how many feedback mechanisms would there be even if you were prone paddling and you were that much closer? And then how is that different if you were you know, prone in the craft, if you were seated, if you were standing, if you were in a deep surfing crouch, even that vantage point difference, I think mm. is, um, and to hear some of the guys that are multidisciplinary, like Danny Ching or Dave Kalamo, whoever that might be, talk about just that vantage point difference is very interesting to me and how it changes the feedback. You know, is it your hand going in and scooping into the water mm. in a prone position? Is, is it a shorter paddle? Is it a longer paddle? You know, how, how wide is your, did you take your narrow race board out? Did you take your big old beginner board out for whatever reason? Cause you knew it was going to be choppy. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, just these different things that can all provide different levels of feedback, different vibrations, different levels of resonance frequencies. But the only way you're going to be in tune to that is if you're, you're really out there and allowing it to come to you. If you've got headphones in, you're looking at your strokes per minute Every five seconds, you know, it'll be like the guy that almost bumped into me on the trail because his headphones were in and he was checking his bloody heart rate like every five seconds on his <laughs> his wrist-borne device. And I wanted to just smack him. But, um, you know, even what, what was he missing there? Even if that data was able to provide a better run in terms of output, you know, there's a little stream running down below. There's birdsong above. You know, this time of year, there could be bears or elk or anything in between. You know, you never know. You might see some eagles, but you're not even going to notice any of that stuff if you take yourself out of it with multiple levels of being wired at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I really like what you said about that resonance and that vibration because I think that exists on multiple levels that Mm. even subconsciously we're not always aware of. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things, too, that I've I've experienced with the – the bringing tech into uh, my paddling is like, like you said, even, even just the ability to have headphones, you know, I, I think not, I don't know how long ago, uh, maybe six months ago or something, I bought some waterproof headphones and I was like, Oh, you know, since I've got my phone on my boat, I'll, I'll listen to some music while I'm out there, you know, but pretty quickly I realized a couple things. Well, one, uh, it, it does make the workout kind of go by quicker, which maybe isn't exactly what I want to experience, right? Maybe I actually want to exist in that, in that, mm-hmm. uh, in that workout space and be out there in nature, uh, and experience the, the length of time as opposed to just kind of have it pass me by. And also, um, I realized, uh, when I go the direction of, uh, Oh, I could just wear some headphones and, and go do, go do this. I, I isolate more. I mean, it's already an isolating thing to put headphones in, but then I might tend to just go work out on my own as opposed to reach out to someone and say, Hey, are you free on Sunday afternoon? I was thinking about doing a downwind loop, you know, Mm. um, which at the end of the day is a big goal for me as a paddler is to be a part of a community, not, not just to go out and paddle myself, but to actually, you know, uh, strengthen my relationships with these other people that I paddle with and, uh, and, and deepen those friendships. And, uh, you know, when I, when I have the technology that, that isolates me, I actually like don't do that as much. Uh, and I, and I, I miss out on that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I listened to a great podcast episode the other day. I'm a big fan of Ferris, obviously, hence his involvement in the book and, uh, through Brian's friendship with him as well. But he has been pushing Cal Fussman to have his own podcast forever. And Cal's kind of nervous about it, I guess. And, and so he, he wanted to give him kind of an acid test. And so he, brought in the greatest interviewer this side of Charlie Rose uh, in Larry King. And so he had Cal interview Larry King and they were talking about what, what, you know, makes a good conversation. And, and Larry said, you know, always be in the moment. Like if I, if I was interviewing former president Obama yesterday and I'm interviewing some, you know, big wig tomorrow, but I'm talking to you today, I'm not thinking about the conversation with Obama anymore. And I'm not looking forward to the conversation with, I forget who it was, but, uh, 
he said, I'm going to be there. And if you're, you know, you're willing to talk to me, I'll, I'll talk to you for as long as you, as you'll like, as you'll allow. And, um, I'm going to be in the moment. And so Larry King, having done 50 to 60,000 interviews, knows a little bit about conversation and knows a little bit about getting people to trust him very quickly at people he may not have, have met before, may not have any history with, and he can pretty much get him to tell him anything. Mm. Mm. And so be in the moment. I mean, that's a pretty good, that'd be a good billboard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... Like I think you guys, uh, you and your and, and your fellow authors, really just tapped into a conversation that I think our society is really, tr- you know, would behoove us to have it at, at large. You know, not just in, in in relation to athletics, but you know, what is the role of technology in our lives? Like we've unlocked this ability to stay connected at all times, um, to create virtual world, worlds, right? That that you know that we can escape into um, for all intents purposes, you know, like, uh, um, and, you know, and, and it's like technology in and of itself is not really like morally weighted one way or the other. That's, it's, it's just a tool, but then mm-hmm. we have to decide how we're going to use that. Right. And, and, and I think to just kind of fall, um, fall into it in an unexamined way is, is dangerous, you know? And I, and I think then, you, you only start to realize the effects it's having um, when, you, like you were saying a, a, a while ago, uh, you know, when, when those people close to you are like, hey, have you noticed that this has completely changed you, you know, and, and you're a completely different person or, or, uh, or maybe you start to notice the negative effects yourself. But, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just really important that, that we talk about this. And, and that we are examining the effects um, of these tools that we're bringing into our, our different spaces. Right. And again, it comes back to intention and it comes back to boundaries because, you know, you, you, as we talked about at the beginning, we're not necessarily advocating a, a Luddite machine breaking here. But what we are saying is that it has its place. But is it in its place or is it just everywhere? Is it just on, on the present? And, uh, what are the effects of that? If it's just bleeding over into every area of our life, just unchecked and unchallenged. Mm. And there yeah. may be some advantages to that. There may be some, uh, some things we gain, but what are we losing? And so just to, to debate that, I mean, what are we losing? You yeah. know, and, and, and again, Larry King said intimacy is mm. a big one. Like if, you know, you and I are obviously doing the audio, but we, we can also see each other. Like if you can see my device, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, great. Uh-huh. Like Seinfeld did a good bit on a forget whose talk show it was. Maybe it was uh, Letterman before he, he, he stopped or someone, one of these guys, maybe Jay Leno a few years ago. And he said, you know, back when I was growing up, someone pulls out this newspaper and noisily unfurls it and is like, mm-hmm, yeah, you're talking to him. That would be considered rude. So why... <laughs> Why then is it not considered rude if someone has their bloody iPad out or their their phone and is um, is doing basically the digital equivalent of that and pretending to half listen to you? And so, yeah, and I mean, we're you know, we recognize my co-authors and I that we're guilty of this stuff. You know, there was a time that I used to think I can't get through a hard interval workout unless I have this driving electronic playlist, you know, and I'm not going to be able to fuel through a workout unless I've had my couple of handfuls of almonds and a banana or an apple 30 minutes before and Mm. you know i didn't didn't know anything about fasting at the time or about the different energy systems or pathways in the body and so we create these fallacies for ourselves and i think that that extends to technology you know oh my goodness if i don't have this thing you know i may just what just not bother you know this didn't count for anything hence the strava fail hashtag and there's probably associated ones and so it just um, this notion of if it isn't recorded, it doesn't exist, or it didn't happen, or it wasn't meaningful. That's a that's a false construct. Yeah. I, oh man, I, I remember when I was first kind of encountering that sentiment. Uh, I used to take a, a group of high school students. Uh, I did it for several years in a row down to uh, this beautiful, beautiful place in. Um, in Arizona called the, the, the Havasupai reservation. It's a, it's a offshoot Canyon of the grand Canyon, just beautiful turquoise water waterfalls. And we would, we would do this 10 mile hike down into the Canyon and then camp down there and take them around. 
And a lot of what we would do, you know, uh, throughout the day is go find these big waterfalls to jump off and do all this stuff. And I mean, this is maybe, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago or so. And all of a sudden I just realized like no kid would jump off the waterfall until someone was filming it. You know, like they, they had to have it recorded. It had to be, you know, shareable or it just wasn't worth it to them, you know? And, and there Mm -hmm. was something about that that really like struck me as, as just in some ways, uh, sad just just because I was like well isn't this experience really for for you like aren't aren't you the one who wants to experience you know the the thrill of jumping off this waterfall like why does it only count you know if if you're able to to prove it to other people visually you know and stuff uh and uh and I think we're just becoming worse storytellers because of it oh man like we're we're losing we're losing the ability to 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 tell good stories because we just want to show people the video you know yeah. And if, you know, one of the points we try to make is if you are doing something for the sake of recording it for tomorrow, you're not experiencing it today. Hmm. And so we think that we're, you know, doing it for posterity or for instant gratification or, you know, both ends of that scale, you know, in more likes and shares and whatever else. But even um, I read a great interview with Jimmy Chin a few weeks ago where he said, you know, he has this massive following online and rightly so. I mean, obviously his bigger projects recently, Meru, and then, you know, his work for National Geographic and outside and other magazines. He's just a phenomenal creator and and a big inspiration to me but and to a lot of people. But he said something like he had only posted to Instagram twice total in the previous month. And I, most people would be shocked. Well, Jimmy, you have like two and a half million followers. They're like, they're waiting to see what you're doing. And his, <laughs> his point was, yeah, but I'm, I'm focused on my craft. Like I'm a photographer, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a storyteller. And those are the things I'm trying to get better at every day. Mm-hmm. Now, if the mood takes me, if I feel inspired to share a particularly great shot, well, well I'll share it. But that isn't, what I'm doing. I'm not an Instagrammer. I am a photographer. I am a filmmaker. I am a storyteller. I am an alpinist and that and a father and a husband. And hmm. it's what he is. And just, you know, that's, I, I think people get it backwards, you know, hmm. and this is someone with millions of followers. So what the heck are the rest of us doing? I'm sure my <laughs> 700 Twitter followers are just <laughs> hanging on every word and just waiting for my latest bit of vainglorious self-promotion to go buy the, this book and other books. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it's I just it, it's delusion. It's kind of like the episode of Seinfeld where Kramer Hall's the old Murph Griffith uh talk show set out of a dumpster you know and and starts recording this and then he has newman on as the co-host <laughs> and they bring on jim fowler the animal guy and he's like where are all the cameras and it's like well that's true it's like where do you where is this audience and even if you have a massive one like jimmy jimmy is not trying to be out there to build an instagram audience he's just doing what he does and because it's excellent people happen to be attracted to it yeah. but it's sec- secondary at best where are mm. all the cameras yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I, you know, for a while when I started taking my phone with me on my workouts and, and recording them, uh, you know, with the with uh, with an app and stuff, um, I was like, hey, I got my my phone out here. Why don't I, you know, take a picture? And so I would take a picture and, and post it to Instagram, you know, and say, hey, I was out paddling this morning, you know, whatever. And and it was funny because I started getting, you know, a few people being like, hey, your your posts are really inspirational, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, like you know, I, I like. Part of it was a little confusing. I was like, I, I don't feel like I'm trying to inspire others with that. I was just kind of like throwing it out there, you know. Um, but pretty soon I realized, too, I was like, what am I communicating through these posts? Because it's like every Tuesday I do the exact same workout with the exact same people. You know, the only difference in the picture is the weather, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I started kind of realizing how, how mundane uh, really the, the the practice was and uh, so I stopped, but, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to do that. Um, yeah. And, and I, I saw a good sign kind of silly, but, um, the coffee shop, they have this one local artist who makes these signs and, uh, one of them said something along the lines of, uh, my hope for you is that one day your life is even half as good as you pretend it is on Facebook, <laughs> you know, and we're all guilty of it. All of us yeah. me included. It just, even we got some crap about, um, 
having a Kindle version of the book, you know, um, really? like, well, that's <laughs> that I'm reading this on my Kindle irony question mark, you know, like, yeah, okay, fair enough. But I guess it's just another way to digest the content. That's fine. I'm not going to say don't buy it, but we'll take the royalties from you. But, yeah. gladly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, definitely. But then Andy's been telling people in interviews and Brian as well, well, you should buy the hardback because it, you know, the way that we laid out the photos and everything was very intentional and the color scheme and everything. And it's meant to be sounds pretentious that we made like this thousand dollar coffee table book or something, which we didn't, I think it's like 20 bucks on Amazon, but it, there is definitely something to that. And, um, yeah, I have no interest in the ebook thing. You know, for a while I was, doing it a little bit for research because you have the benefit of that full content search mm. sometimes, which when you're researching things can be quite useful, but that those days are over. It's um, hard back and I'm just going to have to do the hard yakker and take longer to, to find <laughs> what I'm looking for. It just, um, again, because I don't need any more time in front of a screen, you know, yeah. various writing gigs I have, you know, as both doing books and magazines and whatever else, then, um, yeah, I need less time in front of a screen and not more. And really, again, that comes back to our over, the overall scope of our conversation. Like, do, do you really want more screen time? Do you really want to be more contactable? Do you want to be more distracted? Hmm. Well, if so, sure, buy all the tech you want. Load up, load her up. Yeah, yeah. But if not, then how can you maybe start stripping back in a way that isn't going to detract anything and may actually give you something back that maybe you've lost or started to lose? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I really appreciate it towards the end of the book. I mean, I think this is something that I'll definitely, uh, re- you know, return to often in, in resources um, when you guys really break down um, the the different, um, you know, the different regimens, like the workout regimens for work and rest, and you have it split up to novice, competitor, and professional, and then you also have the challenge at the, at the back of the book, and I, I really appreciated those. I, I appreciated how um, how succinct they are, you know, and, and, um, how clearly it's, it's communicated that, Hey, here's some really like, um, simple ways you can begin to challenge yourself to, to pay attention to, um, you know, to what's going on in your body as an athlete that doesn't involve, uh, plugging in another device, you know, and, and collecting more data, but really listening to it, um, in a, in a, in a physiological way. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, and really what we're saying is, look, maybe try to give yourself a little adversity. Like the body is not designed to be in a fed state all the time. So maybe try a short fast. You know, it Mm -hmm. may seem daunting, but just try it. We're not talking anything crazy, not like a (laughs) 21-day cleanse or anything. But, you know, just try – try a 17 hour fast, which is coincidentally from a product plug standpoint, another book that uh, I wrote with a gentleman called Dr. Frank Merritt, who's featured in Unplugged. And so really he's come up with a minimum effective dose for fasting where you, you eat dinner the night before, and then you just don't eat until lunchtime the next day. And you, you really just tailor down, taper down the size of those pre meals and post meals to 50, maybe 75%. So you're not going from all to nothing Mm. and then back again. But um, that's just one example or another one. We start to give some of the the hot and cold protocols in there. And that doesn't have to be a sauna and ice bath combo, but maybe just take a nice warm bath and, um, and, and, you know, a 30 second or one minute cold shower. And there's some real benefits to that that we're finding with longevity with reducing the uh, incidence of Alzheimer's and other degenerative brain conditions. Mm. And um, there, there are some, these things called cold shock proteins and heat shock proteins, which start to become dormant in your body if you don't use them mm. and are connected to longevity, to cardiovascular health, to brain health, some of these things. And uh, the same with the fasting, like the, the process of autophagy, like clearing out dead cell matter mm. and to start using some of that to recreate like new cell genesis. Um, some of these processes, again, are, are either switched off or diminished when we're either in a fed state, when we're never in extremes of hot, hot and cold because we're always in this temperature-controlled environment. And so um, that's another thing we start to get into in the book about how can we start to safely and progressively introduce some, a little bit more adversity into our lives and some of the effects on the body and just from a challenge standpoint. And, uh, hmm. and Scott Carney does a really good job in his book, What Doesn't Kill Us, of going into his personal story with some of that. But uh, again, yeah, on Brian's uh, website, Power Speed Endurance, there's some protocols on there and 
if you want to check those out maybe before you get the book that's kind of a good entry ramp and then hmm. check out some of Andy Galvin's work online as well and you'll you'll see some of that in there so I think that's part of it is we've tried to create this existence where we've engineered out any kind of suffering or challenge or adversity and made our lives as cushy as possible and that <laughs> may have gained, gained us some happy happy joy joy feelings day to day but what, again, what are we losing there and how can we start to rediscover it? So, yeah, as you mentioned, the back of the book, we start to try to give some maybe some more practical ways of just sim- simple things to start start toying with and experimenting with. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think a, a big a big part to you know connect it back to something we mentioned at the beginning is. I think a lot of that technology stuff, like you were saying, we've tried to engineer out, uh, you know, uh, discomfort and, and just all that stuff. And, and I think a lot of it is aimed at productivity, which you're back in that space of doing rather than being, you know. And, and I think when we overemphasize uh, the accomplishing of things as opposed to just uh, being in them, you know, uh, like like even even when I go for a paddle, um, it's really different if I'm trying to accomplish something through that workout than if I'm doing it for the sake of the enjoyment I get out of it, you know, and, and, and not that it can't be both. Uh, but I think when it starts to, to lean too much towards the side of accomplishing something through it, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it, I start to, to lose out on some of the benefits of just, uh, doing it for the love of it. Yeah, and I think, again, Tim Fer- I agree with you, and I think Tim Ferriss makes another good point that he has different activities for different purposes. So sometimes it's just a grind. You know, if it's a strength training or a power development workout, well, he may have some set goals, you know, a certain number of reps, some, a certain number of sets, you know, and maybe it's he's trying to build power, explosive power. Okay, so that's one kind of thing. But then he does his his um, acro yoga, you know, which you may have seen on Jimmy Fallon where he spun Jimmy Fallon uh, <laughs> on his feet, which is kind of fun intro to that. But Or other other things that he does, say, with his gymnastics coach, which are, are meant to be more of an interaction with him and a coach or him and a training partner. Or then he said, you know, maybe your thing is you like to meet a, a, an old college buddy and go play tennis twice a week. Hmm. And you just do it, you know, you're roughly the same level and you just go to, go to have a laugh and make fun of each other about the shots you missed afterwards and just, you know, have, have some real camaraderie and you're not measuring it. You don't have one of these rackets that's measuring, you know, force and top spin and all of this nonsense in some of these uh, sensor embedded rackets or these little things you can clip on your racket because you don't need to. It's, it's, you know, you're having fun with your friend and you're being active and heaven forbid we actually just go and do that or go and paddle for, for the love of it. And, and it doesn't just become one more grind in our life, one more chore, one more thing we have to do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just That's, go have fun. Like the, Kai Lenny said it best. The ocean is the biggest playground in the world. Or for me, my little, my little lake is a, is a great playground and for someone else. It might be a river and it's free. You know, there's, yeah. you don't need like a $3,000 boat or a $2,000 custom paddleboard or whatever. The, um, the barrier of entry is pretty low. And, uh, you know, it has infinite possibilities. There's complexity there. There's novelty, and um, it gives you something different each time you're you're in that fully, but only if you're well in a position to to receive it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, th- I think I uh, one of my uh, favorite moments reading through the book was I think I was like I was about halfway through, and and I was like I was I was really liking what you guys had to say, and and at one point I was like, man, I feel like the ultimate metaphor for this book is is rocky is like the is the rocky drago fight <laughs> and then when i when i turned the page and i saw and i saw that was one of the headings of the chapter i was like oh man i was like this is perfect this just brought it all together for me you know um, yeah for sure and it, yeah it's like the, the be, be rocky not drago and, and to some people that might seem cheesy but it for me we we went back and we watched that training montage you know and uh you know the music's going and everything and, and it is kind of cliched and it is kind of cheesy and obviously there's the whole cold war motif there and everything yeah, else yeah. And, but it it's also true. <laughs> There's also some some lasting truth in that, you know. And guys, guys like you and me, we grew up with those movies, and so we love that. And maybe a new audience can still find something in there and cut through the the cheesy eighties music. And you know, maybe there aren't enough special effects in there. It's not Transformers, folks, but it's um, you know, it's a 
a reason that those movies were so popular is because Rocky is an everyman, you know, he's just an average guy. And, and that's the kind of people that you like to meet at the lake or on the river or, you know, in the bay or whatever. It's, you know, you might occasionally encounter a superstar paddler or world champ or something out there. But even if you do, they're likely to be pretty humble and willing to give you any pointers or answer any questions you might have. And it just, um, yeah, this paddling community, I mean, I've done hundreds of interviews now for Sup the Mag and a few for Canoe and Kayak as well, and then the Inertia also. And, mm. um, you know, it just, every time I'm amazed by how willing people are to give their time and their expertise, and just there is this real camaraderie and community, like you mentioned, and sorry, but an online platform isn't it. Like, there's nothing wrong with going back and forth over gear or training tips or anything else on a forum or you know, or even using an online platform that's connected to whatever device you're using if you're doing that purposefully. And again, there are some limits and boundaries on that, but it's it's not, nowhere near the same as getting out with a few buddies and just having fun in whatever discipline that is. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but but I mean, I, I, what I really hope, you know, come comes out of our conversation is just that the people that listen to this podcast would be encouraged to you know, keep doing what they're doing, keep getting outside, keep enjoying the feedback that you get uh, through your interaction with nature, you know, and, and then, you know, in whatever way they want to incorporate technology into that, uh, just, just be thoughtful about it, you know, don't, don't just do it unthinkingly and, and realize that, uh, you know, it's, it's better when we, when we take time to think about whether it's really helping us accomplish what we want to. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. You should have written the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but thank. I mean, I mean, I think you're just a great example of what what you just mentioned. Uh, just being willing to to share of your time and uh, you know of the things that that you've learned. Uh, and uh, I'll definitely be pointing people towards the book and uh, and, and recommending it as a, as a resource. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really appreciative of your time tonight and. Uh, yeah, as a fellow father with young kids, I know how that is. And so thanks for spending a part of an evening with with, uh, with me and apologize to your better half. Uh, yeah, you do <laughs> but, the same. Uh, but no, great conversation. And I really appreciate your, your insights and your th- thoughtful questions and being willing to let me ramble a little bit as well. Yeah, anytime, anytime. And I'll be on the lookout for, for anything else you write. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I definitely read the inertia pretty frequently. So I'll, I'll look up some of your pieces and uh, and get into it. No, that's great. Well, well, yeah, hopefully it's just the start of a conversation. And if anyone listening wants to hit me up, um, just philwhitebooks.com or most of the major social outlets. And here's the irony of talking about te- technological <laughs> connection. But I think it, like this, we're using technology right now, right? We're using yeah. Skype. And so no different if someone wants to shoot me a message on any of those main platforms. We'd love to start a conversation, you know, comments, thoughts, criticisms, even, you know, we can sure could have done some stuff better and even things that we mentioned uh, earlier, things we left out. And so, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation with anybody. Yeah. If anything comes my way too, I'll, I'll make sure to pass it on to you, uh, if it's, if it's directed towards you and stuff. So yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you again. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Cheers for now. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to dig into the topic of tech and fitness, make sure to pick up Phil's book, Unplugged, available on Amazon. He's also co-authored a book about sports science called Game Changer, and he is a regular contributor to the Inertia and Sup the Mag. As always, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Thanks. See you on the water.